Well, I'm so grateful for your welcome of me. Do, we, uh, do some of you go to Friday night? Is that how you... I'm trying to figure out how anybody knows who I am. Okay, great. Well, good to see you. Um, like Josh mentioned, uh, most recently, uh, I've been a, I was a pastor in Denver at a church called Bloom Church, which was a community actually very in, in demographic, pretty similar to y'all. So mostly uh, folks kind of in their 20s and some early 30s. And then as the years went on, the demographic broadened a bit. But it was a lot of people that are in kind of the stage of life that y'all are in, which is, um, look, we're in the Christian story. We've been following Jesus for most of our lives, and all of the big, complex, and difficult questions of the 20s are now, like, racing upon us. Most importantly, like, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, like, like, okay, so I'm supposed to make some kind of a contribution to the world, and what is that contribution supposed to be? So what I want to do this morning, and we don't have a ton of time, and I want to leave enough time for discussion, is I want to talk to you about discerning the will of God for your life. How many of you feel like you're in a space where you're trying to figure out what God is asking you to do with, okay, and then the other half of you are lying? Okay. I'm 36. I turned 36 this week, and I'm still trying to figure out what God wants me to do with my life. So... Right? So, um, I want to talk about discerning God's will for your life. But here's the thing. Um, Sometimes in the church, when we talk about discerning God's will for your life, so you have gifts and talents and abilities and all that, and what are you supposed to, like, what's the contribution, your your contribution supposed to be? Um, We almost do it in a way that is secular with a little Jesus kind of tucked into it. So it's sort of like, okay, well, what do you, like, what's your life path supposed to be? Well, let's talk about... First of all, let's do like a spiritual gifts assessment and figure out what God has like equipped you with. And then we want to run you through the Myers-Briggs and you want to figure out your temperament. And then um, if you're a little bit more progressive, um, it's um, let's do your Enneagram type, okay? And so you start collecting that. And then your disc and, and your strengths finder. And now like what are the resources that you have? And so, and then we go, and then of course you need to lift all of that up, offer that up to the Lord and let him direct it. And I actually think that all of that is fine. Um, I love the Myers-Briggs, and I've spent a lot of time in the Enneagram, and I've, so I do all that. But I think that there's a way to approach discerning the will of God for your life that really is more Christian than non-Christian, if you get what I mean. And, um, and I think that we can filter that through the lens of discipleship. So if you have your Bibles, um, I'll invite you to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 8, And um, let's just listen to what Jesus has to say about this. Mark 8 and verse 27. I think it'll be up on the screen behind me too. Okay, good. So Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? So he's asking them what other people think about the divine identity. And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So Peter sort of correctly identifies Jesus and his identity. You are the Messiah. And of course, Jewish people of the first century had a pretty specific set of expectations on what the Messiah was supposed to look like. For the most part, the expectation was that he was going to be this conquering hero that came to Jerusalem, this, uh, a, a divine sort of messenger that helped drive waywardness out of Israel and liberate Israel from its oppressors and then reestablish the kingdom, right? So it's this sort of like upward ascent kind of thing. 
And so he then began to teach them. Now Jesus turns the divine identity or the messianic identity on its head. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, suffer many things, and he'd be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Peter's like, shut up, Jesus. Um, You're going to seriously disillusion all of your followers if you keep talking like this. And maybe he just, you know, Jesus, did you just have like this melancholy streak today? Like, is that what this is about? You're just not feeling too hot? about the, the mission. Like, and so Peter tries to shut him up, but Jesus turns, it says, and he looked at his disciples and he rebukes Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So he goes, Peter, no, 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 no. Like, I have a specific point that I need to make to you. And the point is this. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And he said, whoever wants to be my disciple has got to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. So whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anybody is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So here is like Jesus' message in a nutshell. Peter, the messianic identity, so like who I am, does not manifest itself in this upward ascent of power. But instead, it manifests itself in the downward, like the descent of me giving my life on behalf of other people. So that is the will of God for my life, is what Jesus says. That is, the, that is God's will for the Messiah's life, that his life would be poured out unto death, given as an offering for other people. And then he says, just so you know, If you want to be part of the thing that I am doing, if you want to be my follower, then you're going to walk the same road. So it's not about the upward ascent, and it's not about, um, okay, so I want to have like a nice house and a couple cars, and I want to have a nice marriage and nice kids and a nice white picket fence and all that. Jesus is like, that is not the way for you to think about what you're supposed to do with your life. The way that you need to think about what you're supposed to do with your life is that your life is supposed to be an offering. Like my life was an offering for the sake of the world. Uh, Paul reflects this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says that I am being, this is Paul is at the end of his life here. And he's done all of his great missionary work um, throughout Asia Minor, establishing churches and building people up and undergoing all kinds of crazy persecution. And he says that I am already at the end of his life here being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith, and now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to have long for his appearing. So here is Paul's understanding of discipleship. Is he said, I had this thing that God gave me, and I poured it out until it was gone. And this being poured out, like it can be poured out and not wasted because it's given to God. And this is like he's reflecting what Jesus is talking about, that the will of God for your life is that you'd be given as a gift for the sake of the world and that everything that God has put inside of you would be poured out almost indiscriminately for the sake of others. So you're approaching the big questions of life from the standpoint of like, how can I build up my life and make it awesome is the wrong orientation for a disciple of Jesus. 
the right orientation for a disciple of Jesus is how do I take everything that I've been given and dump it out until I get to the end of my life and the freaking cup is empty? Like that's discipleship. Are you with me this morning? So I want to give you four elements of that, what I've learned in the journey of, of trying to live a life that is poured out but not wasted. Here's the first thing that I have learned. Number one, I think it's up on the screen behind me. You must throw yourself unhesitatingly into life. Throw yourself unhesitatingly into life. There is a thing that sometimes happens to us when we're trying to figure out what our path is, where we overthink the path. And sometimes in Christianity, we've done people this great disservice because we have made it seem as though you can only really be able, you, like, you can only really begin to engage God's will for your life when you know what God's will for your life, his specific will is. Are you with me? When I was a kid, so I grew up in a non-denominational charismatic church, and we had all of these great sort of charismatic luminaries like came through our church all the time, and they'd preach to us and tell us all these amazing stories about what God had done through their ministries. And they would, inevitably, it felt like to me as a young guy growing up in this, it felt like the stories of their call into ministry or their call into God's service always had this very predictable pattern. It was always like, you know, I was a young man. I was 16 or 17 years old. And I decided to fast and pray for a week to hear what God wanted me to do. And so I'm fasting and I'm praying. For eight hours a day, I prayed that week. And then all of a sudden, the heavens opened up and God gave me this dramatic picture of what I was supposed to do. And the next day, I went out and I started preaching on the sidewalk. And pretty soon, there were crowds of people around. And then somebody bought me a private jet. And now I'm flying all over the world, right? And I'm doing all this... And it always is this very predictable pattern. But what it set up for me, and I don't know, maybe that actually was true for most of those people, but I don't actually think that that's mostly how it works for most people. Now, some people, it might just be that the heavens open up and God kind of drops the big plan on you. But for most of us, it doesn't doesn't work like that. And what that did for me is it created this expectation that I couldn't get moving in the will of God for my life until I had that dramatic moment where the heavens opened for me and God said, Andrew, I need you to do X, get out and do it. Mostly I'd go, God, what do you want me to do for my life? And the Lord would just sort of, I felt like he would just kind of smile at me. Like, I, so I like what's happening here, Jesus, but I need more from you than that. And actually, as often as not, I, I felt like sometimes God would say no to things. I would go, well, I'm going to do this thing now. And I'd start doing it and God would go, no, don't do that anymore. I'd go, well, Okay, but then what is the, the great positive thing that you want me to do? And he keeps smiling at me. And one of the things I learned along the way is that um, the best way for me to find my way into the thing that felt like what God was asking me to do was that I just had to sort of toss myself into it, somewhat indiscriminately and unhesitatingly. And I remember being in college, I was 21, 22, maybe, 21 probably, and feeling very monumentally stuck in the plan of God for my life. And I'm praying about it one morning, and I'm going, Lord... I just, I'm not sure the direction you want me to take. I've got like this option in front of me and that option in front of me and da 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 And what do you want me to do? And I just, like I felt in my heart, I felt like the Lord said, why don't you just say yes to me? I go, okay, um, yes. And I felt like the Lord was like really pleased with that. And I, and I went, okay, but what, what is the yes for, Jesus? And I, the, like the sense that I got from the Lord was, it's a yes to whatever I put in front of you to do. So you don't get to decide ahead of time 
what that's going to be, and I'm not going to give you the 30-year program for what you're supposed to do. I'm just going to put things in front of you, and as an act of obedience, when I bring things to you, whatever those things are, you just do them. And so I gave the Lord that. I mean, it was like I gave him my yes. Here it is, Lord, you stick that in your back pocket, and whenever you need me to do something, just know that you already have my yes ahead of time. And it was within a very short amount of time I found that the Lord just started bringing these kind of funny opportunities to me that were to do things. Um, some of it, I felt this like call to ministry. So they were these kind of ministry opportunities that didn't really fit what I thought I should be doing. But because I told Jesus, yes, I did them anyway. And then I found as I did them that something in me started intuiting, oh, this is what I like. And this is what I don't like. And this is what feels good to me. And this is what doesn't feel good to me. And like, it started getting clearer as I started doing it. Does that make sense? One of my favorite authors uh, is a guy by the name of George MacDonald. Um, and George MacDonald, he was a, a Scottish Presbyterian who wrote some of the most incredible, like, uh, sort of uh, f- uh, fantasy. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the great C.S. Lewis, said that George MacDonald baptized his imagination. And uh, he has this wonderful way of taking truth and kind of putting it in narrative form that's, that's really beautiful. And in this book, Lilith, the guy, this guy, the protagonist of the, this little novel, finds himself on the flip side of reality in this space in life that he never expected to be. And he's got this tour guide with him, and he's very frustrated because he keeps asking the tour guide questions about the path and what's supposed to be happening. The tour guide is being very dodgy about it in the way that God is kind of dodgy about these things. And finally, he says in exasperation to his tour guide, he says, would you please oblige me by telling me where I am? And his tour guide says, well, that's impossible. You know nothing about awareness yet. The only way to come to know where you are is to begin to make yourself at home. Well, how am I to begin when everything there is so strange? The tour guide says, by doing something. He says, what? The tour guide answers, do anything. And the sooner you begin, the better. For until you are at home here, you will find it as difficult to get out of this place as it was to get in. Like, you know nothing about awareness. The only way to know where you are is to begin to make yourself at home. You remember Proverbs chapter 3? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what? There it is. He will make your path straight. It's not that he gives you the grand plan ahead of time. It's that he takes all of it. Because here's the thing about God. He's like very wise. And so if you make a wrong turn, you ever played chess with somebody who's like really good at playing chess? And it feels like no matter what move you make, there are always several steps ahead of you and they find a way to win, even though you've like launched. So do that with the Lord. Just try to make some mistakes with him. If you keep opening your heart to him, he'll just find this way to go, oh, that's cool. You're going this direction now. Well, watch this. And he'll throw you into what you're supposed to be doing. So you have to just throw yourself unhesitatingly into life. And I say that, because many of us, many of you in this room this morning are living with all kinds of fear about this. You're worried about making a mistake. You're worried that you're going to choose the wrong degree. You're worried that you're going to choose the wrong job. You're worried that you're going to choose the wrong place to live. You're worried that if you move to San Diego because you've just always wanted to live there, that's going to be a bad thing and you're going to miss God's will. I don't think that you're capable of outsmarting God. If he has a design for your life and you're humbled and submitted before him, you're going to wind up in his will no matter what little erroneous paths you take. Does that free you? Does that help you? It like frees and helps me. It frees and helps me even now 
because I'm constantly worried about it. Lord, am I doing the right thing? And again, I kind of look up and I just sort of see him smiling. And I go, okay, well, you're smart and I'm going to be okay. So throw yourself unhesitatingly uh, into life. The second thing that I would say to you is that you need to, this is true of any stage in your life, but it's certainly true at this stage, you need to prioritize the development of your character. So that'd be the second thing. Prioritize the development of your character. Um, So much of what our life winds up becoming is less a function of what we chose to do than it is a function of who we became. And who you become winds up sort of, I've just seen this over and over again, like who you become in your character, in your essence, it winds up kind of shaping life around you in some way where the life that you live, you wind up sort of feeling like, well, this is, I'm living in the will of God for my life. I must have made all of the right what kind of decisions. Well, actually, it might be that you, might, or you made the right kinds of who decisions. Does that make sense to you? And because you made the right kinds of who decisions, your life kind of sprouted up in front of you in the right way. Jesus, uh, the parable of the soils, you remember that one? Farmer went out to sow a seed, and as he was sowing the seed, um, some of it fell on the path, right? And the birds came and ate it up, and some of it fell in the place that had all these thorns, and they grew up with, and it choked everything out, and some of the seed fell on the rocky places, sprang up quickly, but not much soil, and then some fell on good soil, and it got down into the soil, and it came up, and it produced a crop a hundred times more than what was sown, and those middle two are always the ones that are so fascinating to me, that um, there is seed that hits soil, but the soil has all of this kind of junk in it, right? There's thorns that grow up with the good things, and then there's the soil that's just too shallow, and so it springs up quickly, Jesus says, but then it withers when the hard things of life come because it doesn't have root. You're managing the soil of your life right now is one of the most critical and important things that you can do. When I was in college about that same time, I do remember, again, I was constantly frustrated with, God, what are you doing? And what am I supposed to be doing? And where are you in the middle of this? And I remember being in a space of really profound frustration. And so I actually did. I decided to go on a long-ish fast to see if I could get some clarity from the Lord around where am I going and what am I supposed to be doing. And in particular, I actually felt like I was in a real kind of wilderness season where I was sort of wandering around in circles and unclear and all that. And I remember, you know, I was, it was this funny fast I did. It was like this three-week progressive fast. So like the first fat of week was eliminating junk food and the second week was all fruits and vegetables and the third week was just water and juice or whatever. And so I was somewhere in the middle of that third week of the fast and incredibly frustrated with where I was at in my life and what I was doing, all that stuff. And I remember I was reading through the book of Exodus, and I was remarking at how, from a geographical perspective, when God brings his people up out of Egypt, they don't go to the promised land right away. It's sort of a circuitous, longish route to get there. And I thought that was fascinating, and so I grabbed a little Bible commentary or something and started flipping through it. And sure enough, the guy says, he says, you know, the journey from, this is fascinating, he says the journey from, um, from Egypt into the promised land by foot is probably an 11 to 14 day journey. But what you see is instead of the people coming up out of Egypt and going right up into the promised land, they actually go south, right? They go down into Sinai. What happens at Sinai? The Ten Commandments. They meet God. They learn his character and his ways. And he gives them specific instructions about who they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to live. Sinai is like this critical kind of detour 
that the people of God go on before, and if they hadn't gone to Sinai, they'd never be able to sustain their life in the promised land. Because who God formed them to be in that wilderness space, in that Sinai space, was critical to what he wanted to do in them in the future. And I remember, like, the light kind of went on in my head, and I remember hearing the Holy Spirit say to me, Andrew, you have desired the end of this season of wandering? Like, I just kept wanting to microwave the whole thing. You know, like, God, what's the quick fix, Lord? What are the three easy steps to being done for this un- with this uncomfortable, ambiguous season where I can jump into what it is you want me to do with the rest of my life? And I remember hearing the Holy Spirit say to me, Andrew, you've desired the end of this season, but I'm not done using it to change you. And you need to let my spirit do a deeper work of faith in you, so that, and in this line, so that your character will be able to sustain you in the places that your giftedness will take you. Can I get an amen? amen? So that your character will be able to sustain you in the places that your giftedness will take you. One of the worst things that can happen to you in your life is that your obvious talents and gifts that you have and abilities and resources that you have, that you put those to work and they take you to places that have outpaced your character. And if and when that happens, you will fail. Because life is just that hard. And the enemy is trying to destroy you. And he would love nothing more than to see you overextended in your life beyond the capacity of your character. And as Mandy and I, my wife and I, I've four kids, been married for going on 17 years. A week from today, actually, it'll be 17 years. Um, as Mandy and I have journeyed through life, it has been our gifts and our abilities have taken us to some amazing places and we've done some amazing things. But I'm telling you, some of the stuff that, that life has thrown at us, it would make your head spin. And it has been, for us, it's been the deep reservoirs of character that we developed in those quiet seasons, those ambiguous seasons, and also the habits of life that we developed in those seasons that have sustained us through those difficult things. And you have to, at the end of the day, what this is about is this is about you caring for your own soul enough that you've determined to prioritize it. And it's not just about what you're going to do with your life, but it's about like who you are. And so you care about those things. And when you sense that there is disorder in who you are or a lack of clarity in who you are, or when you sense that there's a disconnect in who you are from where God is at, like you, you do everything that you can to reconnect with them. In 2016, I was heading into my 10th year of ministry, and um, I just remember feeling like internally, like we had done some amazing things and been very productive and fruitful and all that, and I felt as though there was like a caution I had in my soul. Like, Andrew okay, yes, you've been really fruitful and you've been really productive. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit was going, well, but what about this thing? And what about that thing? And what is going on over there in that little corner of your life? Can we have a conversation about that? And so I decided 2016, I went, this is my 10th year of full-time ministry. And I have seen too many people flame out in the middle of the will of God. And I'm not going to flame out. So I did 2016, I did all of these Things. One of the big things I did in 2016 was I did a social media fast. So I shut down my Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And it was, you know, that doesn't probably, seven years ago, that wouldn't have sound ridiculous, sounded ridiculous, you know, as a spiritual act. For me, it was like the closest thing I could get to becoming a desert hermit, um, as I, my life can possibly stand. But it was like, I, Lord, I'm shutting all of that down. I'm not blogging for a year. Like, I am drastically trimming back the level of my public activity 
because I just need to hear your voice again. And I'm feeling a little bit lost right now. And I kind of need to lock back into a sense of your call and your word over my life. And I want to consecrate myself to you afresh. And I'm telling you guys, that was one of the hardest things I went through that whole year. And also one of the best things. Like it washed stuff out of me and gave me new reservoirs of character. So as you're in this season, mind the development of your character. Develop good habits, spiritual disciplines. Those will sustain you. They will. Your habit of engaging the scriptures and fasting and prayer, coming before the face of the Lord and letting him wash stuff out of you, it'll sustain you as you make your way through all that stuff. I'm running short of time, so I want to be real quick with these next two. But So throw yourself unhesitatingly into life is the first thing. Prioritize the development of your character is the second thing. The third thing I would say is that you need to major in relationships in this season. Major in relationships. I I'm an individualist, this profound individualist. I, uh, in the Myers-Briggs, I'm an INFJ. So I internalize all of this stuff, and I don't really like speaking and processing things until I have it together. And then I sort of crystalline clarity, and I talk about it. That's how I'm wired. I'm an individualist. But I have learned that Henry Nouwen, the great spiritual writer of the 20th century, is right when he says that he says, we keep forgetting that when Jesus sends us out, he sends us out two by two. We were never meant to do this alone. And as I've grown up in the will of God for my life, one of the things that I have learned is that I can, in my own ambiguity and struggles with what I'm supposed to do, that I can lean into relationship. And for me, there have been a couple different layers of relationships that are important for me. One of them is, I think we have this slide, um, actually a couple different layers, peer relationships, big brother, big sister relationships, and spiritual father and mother relationships. So you surround yourself with these kinds of people, peer relationships, folks that are in the same space of life as you and are asking the same kinds of questions and have enough proximity to you that they can speak meaningfully into your journey. You need that. Scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Your leaning into good peer relationships will help. You're finding this one, these next two were really hard for me, um, big brother, big sister, and spiritual father and mother relationships. Um, a lot of us are really good at the peer relationships because they're comfortable. And um, they're good. But if you have only that, the thing about your peers is that um, you can too easily impress them sometimes. And sometimes you create like these communities of mutual sympathy and foolishness. And there's never, <laughs> there's like not enough perspective to break you out of that closed circle. And so it's the big brothers and big sisters and spiritual fathers and mothers that can help you with that that they've been down the path a little bit further and they see the cycles of life and how it works and they can speak to who you are and where you're going in a way that others can't. Um, you need to seek these out. And it's going to be scary at first. It was scary for me because I don't like presenting things as incomplete. And I knew that the big brothers and the big sisters and the spiritual fathers and mothers of my life would see the incompleteness of my life and call me on it in a way that my peers didn't. So it was like terrifying for me. But when I started doing it, it like it made all the difference in the world. When Mandy and I were walking through some really important discernment issues last year around where the Lord was calling us, what he was asking us to do next, we found a couple in their late 50s, and we said to them, we, the church in Denver gave us a three-month sabbatical to do some discernment work, and one of the big things that we did with that is we found this couple in their mid to late 50s, and we said, hey, would you walk alongside us? We want to meet with you on a regular basis and process through with you what we're going through here, and would you just be a sounding board for us as we do that? And man, the stuff that they gave to us in that process was absolutely invaluable. What I'm saying to you this morning 
is that there are, like, there are more people that love you and are for you and would jump at the opportunity to be in your corner than you right now realize. Seek them out. Seek them out. It'll help you as you make your way into the will of God, as you shape up that sort of poured out life. So um, throw yourself into life. Um, uh, prioritize the development of your character. Uh, you need to seek out these relationships. And then the fourth thing that I would say, and with this I'll come in for a landing, is that you need to be radically open to the wind of the Spirit. Be radically open to the wind of the Spirit. Jesus, at one point in his ministry, this is John chapter 3, he says that the wind blows wherever it pleases, right? You hear it sound, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. And then he says, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit of God. That when you really abandon yourself to the Spirit of God, it has this way of taking your life in directions that maybe you never expected it to go. And I remember being a high schooler. I went to this Christian high school, and the headmaster of our school was this spiritual father type, wonderful man. And we were in this time of the space of prayer one day, and he's praying over me. And then he says, I'll just never forget this. He goes, Andrew Arndt, look at me. I kind of got my head down. All of a sudden, Andrew Arndt, look at me. I go, Whoa. And I look him in the eyes, and he goes, this is what the Lord is saying to you. Make your plans and know that I will change them. And I sort of hated him for saying that right then, but there are few words that people have given me in my life that have proven to be more true than that word. And both of the elements of it are critical. I do actually have to make my plans. It's important. When I look up to the father and I see his face just kind of smiling at me and he's not giving me a lot of clarity and direction, I do what the book Lilith said. I get busy doing things. I make plans and I build things and I get creative and I engage with people. I do like the general things that are right to do. And then I trust that as I'm kind of making my way in life, that the Lord, the infinitely wise chess player, will here and there go, boom, and he'll sort of get me going back in the direction that he wants me to go and that all of that is part of the process. And um, if you can't, resolve yourself to do this, you're going to have a hard time following Jesus. Because Jesus is, I mean, think about the Gospels. He is this figure that is darting this way and that in the Gospels, going from one place to another and constantly confounding his disciples. And their job is just to keep up with him. And they don't get to, even if they have some intuition as to where the path is going, they ultimately are not in charge of that. Jesus is in charge of that. Their job is to sort of just keep their eyes on him. Oh, he's going left now. And they go that way. You have to stay open to that in your life. And the truth is that this will always happen for you. One of the things that you will be tempted to believe at this stage in your life is that there is this magical moment that you're going to come to when all of the ambiguity and all the questions about what you're supposed to do with your life are going to finally be resolved because you're going to be doing the thing. And now I'm in the thing whatever the thing is. And now it's all sort of cleared away. And so I'm not that much older than you. I'm a little bit older than you. And I can just tell you that at 36 years old, um, things are more ambiguous to me now than they have ever been in my life. And in a way that's like, it's bizarre to me because I feel like I know God better, but I know less about my future than I've ever known. But see, the thing is that, I mean, what is that? Like the great Protestant doctrine, Right? is that we are justified by faith. That's right. And sometimes we construe faith as like 
Faith is like the thing that I summon up in me that helps me do the great thing when I have crystal clarity in front of me. Well, yeah, that's one part of faith. But you know what another part of faith is? I have no freaking clue where I'm going, Lord. And I trust that in my unknowing, you're taking me into your knowing. Faith is walking in the dark. I know that's not super encouraging, but faith is walking in the dark. It's trusting that the presence is in front of you and that in all of your little twists and turns and all of your efforts to throw yourself dramatically into life, that God's going to use that to take you where you're supposed to go. Faith is walking in the dark. And so you trust him and you trust the wind of the spirit and you give yourself over. Like we're not justified by our making perfectly appropriate and right decisions with how we're supposed to spend the rest of our, that's not what justifies us. Faith justifies us, which means that we can live freely and boldly in the face of all of the uncertainties. Are you with me this morning? So I want to ask you a few questions for discussion. And then I'm going to have you, uh, are we good on time, Josh? So we'll have you talk at your tables for like 10 minutes or so. And then after that, Josh, or maybe seven or eight minutes, and then after that, Josh is going to wander around with a microphone. And I'd love for us to process together as a group a little bit, questions that you have in the middle of this, things that sort of provoked you. So here are the questions. Uh, Which of Andrew's four points do you resonate most with? Which do you most struggle with? And then how do you sense the Spirit calling you to respond? What do you need to adjust, change, or reprioritize? Talk about those things, and then we'll process as a group in a few minutes. Okay. Hope you had a good time chatting in your groups. We wanted to take some time um, to process out loud a little bit more. And so this is time for you to ask whatever questions you might have or to talk about what impacted you the most or resonated the most with you or if anything maybe caused you any like cognitive dissonance in some way. This is the time to process that. So any questions or thoughts? Somebody just got to go first. That's what the thing that always gets it going. Right over here. Yeah. Hey, everybody. And uh, I just love this table. So we talked about it. And it was cool because we got to talk about all four of those things and how, I mean, uh, throwing ourselves into life uh, is abandoning that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We talked a little bit about that. It, mm. It's putting aside. It's, it's not building on the sand on all these little stresses that we put on ourselves. Uh, Josh and I got to talk about this this week. And it's building on one thing. You don't have to have a million things figured out anymore. Yeah. You just have that one thing figured out, which we, we were just talking about is um, faith is the belief, you know, in, in, in something unseen, but it's also believing in the one that sees it. Yes. So it's believing that he's faithful. Yes. So when we're trying to figure it out as young people where we're going or what we're doing, we don't have to have it figured out so much as we, we have to know the one that has it figured out, which plays right into he's showing us what our character is. Because yes. for seven years um, of being saved, I just froze. I was telling him that I froze. Yep. And, and we identified with that. We spoke to that, that I froze because I was waiting to know what man I was. And I was waiting to know what his calling was. And something changed uh, right as we were wrapping up. I was saying, I used to, in 2009, God called me to these things. And I would say, these are my five callings. But, but now God's transformed it in this last year. And he, it's the five things he says, watch as I do these things. Oh, that's good. It's not, I've called you, so you aspire to these things. But it's, I've called you, so come and just mm-hmm. sit at my feet and watch as I let these things unfold. So I'll open the mic up to somebody else. But I love that. That's, that's awesome. That's great. What other thoughts do you have? Good. We've got a couple more. See you in the 
We'll give getting a workout here. Getting Josh a workout. Hi, I'm Haley. This is my first time. Oh, hi, Haley. Haley. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so me standing up and introducing myself uh, is me throwing myself unhesitatingly into life. Mm. Um, yeah, I just moved here a month ago, and definitely in like a transitional season, I uh, did the world race last year and then did some more traveling. Oh, cool. And so uh, very much in a transition and trying to figure out what's next and what do I do with all the things that just changed Mm-hmm. Uh, for the last year and a half. So if you would come up and introduce yourself to me, that would take some away my anxiety. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks. <laughs> oh, wonderful. I love that, man. What's up, guys? I'm David Leal. And... What's up, guys? That was amazing. I have to make sure. You're, you're, you're awesome. It was Kaylee? I'm going to talk to you afterwards. That was amazing. Uh, okay, Andrew. So for me, it was the prioritized uh, development of your character. Yeah. And I was, I was telling, um, this is my buddy Rio right here. So I was telling Rio that um, there was a season where I was on staff with New Life Church Hospitality. I'm not sure if you guys know what that is. Yeah, I see Zach right there. Jackson part. He's part of hospitality. So New Life Hospitality is the facilities team for the church. And so... They, they deal with all the custodial work. They deal with all the setups and teardowns. Every event that you see that happens at New Life Church, hospitality sets up and tears down. So this right here, they did all the chairs, all the tables, everything. And so um, I worked there for two years of my life. And up until that point, before that time, I, w- I really wanted to be on staff with New Life Church. I've been here since I was 15. And, and I wanted to be on either, like, the worship team one day. Like, one day I'm going to be on the worship department or you know, hanging out with Johnny again, or I want to be on, you know, desperation, you know, be, be, be with them. And finally, the opportunity came for me to be on staff here, but it wasn't through any of those departments. It was through hospitality. And I said, well, all right, mm. God, well, <laughs> I wasn't looking for that, but I'm grateful. Like, okay, God, this is, this is an opportunity. I can be on staff of the church, and I'm just grateful to be on staff. Great. Okay, good. So I, I said yes to it, and I signed up. And those two years were some of the hardest years of my life mm-hmm. because I, I felt unseen so much. I felt like I was off the radar. I'd be, it'd be 11 o'clock at night. We worked from 5 to 1230 every night. And so I would be, let's say, just in the, some distant hallway, in the back hallway with four people on staff, no one else at the church. And I felt like, man, God, like no one sees me. I'm here mopping this floor. I'm here clean this toilet and no one no one sees me like i you know i have all these dreams and ambitions to do this and that i'm musical guy i want to do this and that and i feel like i'm not being seen and god says i see you Mm -hmm. and i felt like david you know off the radar in the in the shepherd's fields with the with you know with the with the sheep it's like he's not he has all these all this potential he was king but he was off the radar and that's where god developed my heart and said i see you and And so, yeah, that, that was, so those two years really just shaped me, and yeah, so, cool. I remember the Lord asking me one time if I had faith to be obscure, and I thought that was the most cha- one of the most challenging things that God could have ever said to me. I think that sometimes the way that we talk about faith and what you're going to do with your life and all that stuff, it's like, do you have faith to, like, climb mountaintops, scale large walls, and do all this stuff, and it all, it's like, it's like self-optimizing in some way. Like, it's really about, like, do you have faith to become a big deal in life? And I remember the Lord asked me, like, do you have faith to be obscure? Because if you don't have faith to be obscure, you'll never get to where I want you to be. 
So it's that like, can we like embrace those seasons where we're in between and we're obscure and we have great hopes, dreams, and ambitions, but nobody's noticing us for them? But can we stay in those places? Because God really does deepen us in that space. Yeah, one, time for one more question. Um, this isn't a question. Um, this, my name's Kenisa. This is my first Sunday with the Young Adult Sunday School. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, something that really stuck out to me was the peer relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know... As I started getting closer to God, a lot of people started pushing away. Oh. And that was God's sign to me that they're no good for you. Yeah. Um, my relationship with my parents, with my siblings, it's amazing. But I started to fight with God as people started, you know, getting pushed away, wondering what's happening, what's going on. Um, and that's kind of what pushed me to be here today, mm. to be with people who are, you know, in my age group who yeah. are striving for the same things as yeah. I am. You know, just building a relationship with God, building our faith together. Yes. To have someone uplift me instead of bringing me down. And it's, it's just a pleasure to be here, you know, and it's by God's grace that I'm here with all of you today. And I just want to, you know, say thank you for having me here with you all. And same thing with Haley. <laughs> I'm pretty nervous. So, you know, if you guys ever want to come up to me and introduce yourselves, that would be greatly appreciated. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Well, can I pray over everybody before you? And yeah, real quick, um, Andrew, can you share with them? I know we're running, we're running long, but we're drinking deep here. Um, we were talking about the, Eugene Peterson. Oh yeah, um, I, bro, I'd love for you to share that quick story, real quick, just to reframe yeah, so it. So you all know who it. Eugene Peterson is, author of the Message Bible and about four hundred other books. And we were talking about. I was thinking about it this week as I was preparing for this. Um, I was going to share it, but I didn't because I ran out of time. But um, you know. Like Eugene Peterson, when you start reading his stuff and listening to his life story, there was never a moment where Eugene Peterson created a strategic plan to become Eugene Peterson. Like what he did was he did the work that was in front of him to do. And do you know how the Message Bible happened? He was pastoring his little congregation of a few hundred people, and he would run into folks in his congregation who just needed a word of encouragement. And so he knew the biblical languages really well. And so he'd take a psalm or he'd take Ephesians 1 or Romans 8 or whatever, something encouraging, and he would translate it in this really warm, genuine Eugene Peterson pastoral way. He would translate it for him and give it to them as a bit of encouragement. And he found that as he did that, it resonated with people. And pretty soon they were asking for more, and so he'd translate more psalms for them or more of the gospels or whatever. And before too long, it like turned into a thing. And he had most of the New Testament and the psalms translated. And then a publisher came to him because they caught wind of it and said, hey, so we should probably like do something with that, right? And it was like, but it was that. There was no like strategic plan to write the message Bible. It was his responsiveness. It was like, you know nothing about awareness yet. The only way to know where you are is to begin to make yourself at home. And so begin by doing anything and do the things that are good to do. You know, when you were talking before, I was thinking about Romans 12, one through two, you know, therefore my brothers in view of God's mercy, what do you do? Offer your Bodies as living sacrifices. Well, that's the same thing that Jesus is talking about in Mark 8 and that Paul's talking about in 2 Peter 4, that you just give yourself. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your worship. And don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this is about the character, getting to know the will of God. And then you'll be able to test and approve what is the will of God, as good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's as we get to know the mind and heart of the Father, we're actually, we're capable of sussing out, oh, oh, God's in this. Oh, I see his hand on this. Oh, this is what is good and true 
and beautiful. And so we gear our lives in the direction of, of that, and then pretty soon we find ourselves in the middle of the will of God for our lives. So just do get busy. There's so much, and there's a world that needs you, that desperately needs you to use everything that you've got to lift it and to bless it and to strengthen it. There is so much injustice in our world and poverty in our world and people being marginalized and oppressed and there's confusion and lack of truth. The world needs you. It needs you to take everything that you've got and throw it unhesitatingly into life. You'll find your way into God's will, I think, if you do that. Anything else you want to process? Can I pray over everybody? And then you can, Lord Jesus, thank you for this group and thank you for, um, well, thank you that we all just get to be your kids. And you're in control of everything, which is amazing to think about. And so we pray that your spirit would rest powerfully upon each one of us and that you would awaken in us confidence that the one who begins the good work in us is faithful to carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. And that does not require that we know a lot about the destination. All we know is that our destination is Jesus. And so we are going to keep running in the destination in the direction of Jesus with all of our might. And we pray that you would curate the path in front of us, that you would bring to our attention everything that needs to be brought to attention, that you'd use us powerfully in the world. We're asking that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.